Amen. Thank you, worship team. Love having the students uh, leading us in worship this morning. Really a blessing to me and also to kind of hear some songs that I know are special to you guys and youth group uh, that we don't always get to sing together. And so I really appreciate your serving us in that way. Uh, It's true, third through fifth graders are going to be staying with us. Hope uh, this was the first time that you heard that just right now. That might be a a little bit of a bummer for you. You might be thinking, oh no. But don't worry, I got something cool for you guys today. So just pay attention. It's going to be, I know, you're saying... And Ethan's like, I don't know. I do. It's true. So stick. So stay with me. Well, church, let's continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. If you're looking for Isaiah, it's in the Old Testament. Basically, just try to find the Psalms in the middle of your Bible. It's kind of an easy one to find. And then as you kind of keep go, moving forward, you uh, keep move forward a few books till you get to Isaiah. If you get to Jeremiah, you've gone too far. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 is where we will be this morning. It's the final week of Mission Month which is the month that we've set aside to talk about the mission we've been given as a church to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations, as Pastor Craig just reminded us a little bit ago. Paulette Hoover's still the only one who has wished me a happy mission month uh, all month, so uh, she gets all the points for that. Um, but uh, we, uh, at the end of our service this morning, uh, we're going to be commissioning the two short-term mission teams that are going to be going out from our church this summer. The Guatemala team, which, Lord willing, is going to be leaving early Wednesday morning. And then the Twin Cities team, which is going to be, Lord willing, leaving on June 15th. So we'll uh, preach. We'll see what God has for us in his word in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. And then uh, we're going to be commissioning those teams. But before we do any of that, let's go before the Lord one more time in prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we do praise you for the gospel, for those truths that we've just sung about, we just prayed about. Jesus Christ condescended to earth, took on flesh, did it to redeem a sinful, rebellious people, Lord. Praise you for that. We just pray that that truth would really hit home in our hearts today as we uh, take some time looking at Isaiah chapter 6, which is a vision of the throne room in heaven. It's truths that are beyond our mind's ability to comprehend and our mouth's ability to, to accurately describe. Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we see this passage, that we would have a bigger and grander vision for you and for your glory and for who you are, God. We pray Uh, these things in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. We've covered a a lot of ground this month as we've talked about our mission as the body of Christ. And honestly, we could have spent a lot longer than a month on this topic. Uh, We talked about some of the elements of our mission, including discipleship and evangelism and loving our neighbors and sending missionaries to the unreached. And as we come to the end of this month, we've talked about a lot of good things that we are called to do for God. And and I want to be clear as we close this 
months uh, with this passage. And honestly, we could have just as, this could have just as easily been an introduction to Mission Month, but it, we're using it kind of as a closing to Mission Month. It's honestly, as, as we think about it, it is good to do good things for God, right? It, it is good to do things that God calls us to do. And we've said it a lot that God uses his people to accomplish his will, to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't need to use us, and yet he chooses by his will to use people like you and me to accomplish his purposes. And and this is good to do good things for God. But as we close Mission Month, as we close this whole month talking about things that we're called to do, I also want to end with a little bit of a warning, of a warning for all of us. Because while it is good to do good things for God, it's possible to be so caught up in what we're doing for God that we actually miss out on God himself. We saw an illustration of this in the Gospels, right? The story of Mary and Martha, and and, uh, Martha is preparing for a a a party, a bunch of people come over. She's, she's doing a lot of things to serve, and, and Mary is just spending time doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's getting more and more frustrated and upset with Mary, and Jesus tells Martha that Mary's doing the only, well, is the only one doing anything that will last, and Martha was doing good things, right? Things that were necessary, that needed to be done, and yet she missed out on the most important thing that she could do, which was simply to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so as Mission Month comes to a close here, I I just want to be crystal clear that there is much work to be done. These things that we've talked about all month are good. They're important. This is what God is calling us to do. But even as we think about these things we're called to do, we cannot be a church that's so caught up in our mission that we miss our Messiah. Amen? We can't be a church that's so caught up in the mission that we have that we actually miss out on the Messiah himself. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 6, and the commissioning of Isaiah the prophet, as we prepare to commission our own short-term mission teams, we're going to see four things that can cause us to fail in our mission as a church. So we've just spent four weeks talking about our mission, and now this morning as we close, we're going to see four things that can cause us to fail in our mission as a church, all from Isaiah chapter 6. And the first thing that will cause us to fail in our mission is simply this, if we fail to see God's glory. We will fail in our mission if we don't see God's glory. Look with me at verse 1. It says this, In the the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's a lot in just these short verses. Uzziah says the year that King Uzziah died, that's putting him kind of right in a very specific uh, uh, time frame. As he talks about, it's a time frame that everyone would have known about. It's like if I told you in March of 2020, right, that, that 
kind of specific date has major connotations for all of us. The same is true here. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years, and there was relative peace and prosperity during his reign, but he kind of did some things that were disobedient at the end of his reign, and, and when he died, there were threats kind of closing in on Israel on all sides. And so it's, that's the historical context that Isaiah goes to the temple to pray, and I don't know if he was expecting anything out of the ordinary, uh, if he was just kind of expecting to spend some time in the temple praying, but uh, when he gets to the temple, it wasn't just another day at the temple. He was given this vision of the manifestation of the glory of God. And it's at this point where words just I, fail him to accurately describe what he's seeing. And words have failed me all week to kind of, how do we portray what this scene is, this vision that Isaiah had. I don't know if you've ever traveled anywhere just like so breathtakingly beautiful and you just take a bunch of pictures of it and then you get home and you try to show someone and it's just like, Ugh, it's, it's not the same, right? You had to be there. You had to see it. This is kind of like that times a billion, right? Isaiah has seen the most glorious thing that you can see. He's seen the manifestation of the glory of God in the temple, and now he's trying to describe it. He says this. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. What's a throne? Who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne, right? And so what he's saying here is he saw the Lord sitting on a, a high and lifted up throne, higher than any other throne. God is revealing to him that he is the supreme ruler, the supreme king of all the universe. He's saying, I'm the one in charge. Isaiah goes on, the train of his robe filled the temple. So somehow he's seeing this glimpse of the Lord and, and the, he's wearing a robe and the train is filling the temple. Again, this is something that's kind of hard for us to even imagine what that would be like. You, know, some, you go to a wedding and the, the bride has the, the gown and the train. She's walking down the aisle and the train's going behind her. And then there's some, there's usually the maid of honor, like every five seconds is reaching down to try to fix it. And that always, I don't know, always, um, it's a pet peeve of mine in a wedding anyway. It's, like, just, it's just fine. It's fine. It's sitting there on the floor. But that anyway, that has nothing to do with this, right? This is like way bigger than that, right? The train of his robe is filling the temple, I like what one commentator says. He says, the picture Isaiah paints strikes awe and terror into one's heart. A person gets the idea that the observer has come a little too close to the majesty of the glory and has seen something that is beyond the human sphere of experience and understanding. It's just too much. It's just too, too much to comprehend. God is the supreme authority, and he's so majestic and awesome and terrifying. His robe fills the whole temple. Then he says this, verse 2, Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, I don't know about you. I used to think whenever I'd 
read this passage, I picture the seraphim as kind of like these angelic beings just kind of floating around. Maybe they had harps playing and, and uh, they're just flying around and they have these six wings. And uh, that's actually not what this is at all. At least probably not. There's some people who disagree on this, but I think there's good enough evidence for this. And this is what I'm saying, kids. This is really cool. This is probably one of the only things you're going to remember from this sermon. Do you know what the seraphim were? I learned this in seminary. It's one of the only things I remember from seminary. The seraphim, a lot of people believe, were burning, flying snakes. Yeah, how cool is that? (laughs) That root seraphim is from the root, right, that we have serpent, right? So we have these snake-like beings that are on fire, and they have feet, and they're flying around. That is pretty cool. If any of you want to draw a picture of a seraphim, I'll hang it up in my office. And they're flying around and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So he sees this vision. Again, the, the, tr- the train of the Lord's robe is filling the temple and there's these just countless flying, burning snakes with feet flying around, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And again, words just fail us here to communicate what's happening. But we should know that in, in Hebrew, to say something two times is like the superlative. It's the way that saying that something is the most or the best. So if you say something twice, you're saying that is like above everything else. And so by repeating it three times, Isaiah is saying that to us that God is holy beyond any human definition of that word. This is the only thing that is attributed three times to God in all of Scripture that God is holy, holy, holy. That same commentator that I quoted earlier says this He says, God's absolute holiness reveals how separate, different, or totally other He is in comparison to all other aspects of the created world. God's holiness means that He is separate from everything that is sinful utterly removed from the profane world, and glorious in majesty. So the seraphim cry out, testifying to God's holiness, to his otherness, to his devotion, to his people. And they go on singing, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is designed by God to magnify this glory of this holiness. And so as we have this scene here why Isaiah, again, he's going to the temple just to pray in the temple. But this is the beginning of his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, he is just given this vision where he has struck in awe of the unfathomable majesty of the holiness and glory of God. There's no one else like him who can claim apart from Christ to just be holy one time. No one. If God was just holy, he would be so far beyond us. But he's more than that. He's more than holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. This is our God, and this is what Isaiah saw with his own eyes at the beginning of his ministry. He saw the holiness of God in a way that we can't even comprehend or fathom. But likewise, 
If you're going to be successful in the mission that God has given you, if he's given you something to do, if we as a church are going to be successful in the mission that God has given us, we have to begin by beholding this with our eyes as well, that God is holy, holy, holy. God is full of a holy glory that our minds can't even comprehend. And this has to be the thing that motivates us in our mission above everything else. We should have a healthy fear of God and his holiness and his otherness. Not an unhealthy fear, but a healthy fear as we approach the throne with trembling of the God who is so completely other. We'll fail in our mission if we don't see his holiness. And then the second way that we will fail in our mission what we see happen to Isaiah. Because that glory, that holy glory, should cause a response in our hearts that it caused in Isaiah's heart, which is humility. And so the second way we can fail in our mission is if we aren't humbled by our sin. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he was immediately humbled by his sin. Look at verse 4. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So again, this isn't just like, again, these cherubim just floating around on, 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 uh, on clouds and their harps just singing, holy, holy, holy. No, the, the foundations are shaking at their voice as they cry out, holy, holy, holy. It's more like the sound you hear at the Indy 500 today as cars are whizzing by at 230 miles an hour. If you've ever been to that, you just like, it just shakes everything. That's the sound that's happening in the throne room of heaven. And overwhelmed by this, Isaiah speaks for the first time. And listen to what he says. The first thing that Isaiah says, he says, Woe is me, and then depending on your translation, he says, For I am lost, or for I am ruined. It's his response to God's glory. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happens when he sees the glory of God? He is struck by his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of God's chosen people. I love that it's both, right? It's not just his own sinfulness. He's also thinking on behalf of his people. And he's also not just thinking, what was me? Those people are really bad. (laughs) And see, when you truly have an encounter where you're able to get a taste of the holiness of God, this is going to be your response as well every time. Not pride, humility. People come to the Lord. There's sometimes uh, where people will um, come to the Lord in a way that it actually, they feel prideful because now they're come to the Lord and you just say, that's not the response that we have when we come to God. It's not pride, it's humility. Isaiah didn't say, wow is me because I got to see God and no one else did. <laughs> he said, woe is me for I am ruined. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. And we are going to fail in our mission if we don't understand the pervasiveness of our sin. We don't understand it. I hope that, uh, I don't know if anyone in my family is uh, listening on the live stream this week. I kind of hope not. I'm going to tell this story about a while back in my, uh, we were 
visiting my parents' house in Ohio uh, while my parents were actually not at home. And uh, we were kind of having a dinner with my, some of my family there at my parents' house. And my grandma spilled her drink on the carpet. And so we kind of had this panic moment. And it was like this orange kind of Gatorade. And, and uh, so we had this panic moment. We had to find some carpet cleaner. And somebody, I'm not going to say who, but somebody grabbed a cleaner that had bleach in it and didn't realize it, and just choo, 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 sprayed the carpet, and do do do, and then, and it was, um, the drink was orange, and the bleach made the carpet orange, and so at first it wasn't Im- immediately apparent that this is what was happening, and so just more bleach kept getting squirted, and more scrubbed, and scrubbed, and, and then all of a sudden somebody, I think it was Emily, who saw the bottle of what was used, and realized um, what had happened, and um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good, <laughs> It was a big stain right in the middle of their living room. They had this kind of like tannish brown carpet, I think, and it was just boom, right there. There was no hiding it. And so what did we do? My, we felt like, I mean, I felt like I was a kid again because my parents aren't home and we've just done something at their house. Like I'm right back into middle school again. I was like, okay, how are we going to fix this before my parents get home? And uh, so we, my brother and I, are kind of, so first we don't know what to do and we're using like carpet cleaner and that's obviously not doing anything. And as you kind of doing some research, search on Google and like when bleach stains happen that's it it's just it's like removed all the pigment from there it's not there's nothing to clean out it's just done and so at that moment my brother and I get the idea that we are going to um, try to dye the carpet back to the original color that it was and so we make up some coffee and I don't even know what else we use and we're pouring it and we're kind of trying to scrub it in and and it's just not working and then finally we just had to call my parents and own up to what we had done and I think through some creative rearranging my mom has moved a rug over and it's on top of the carpet there and um, so if you go to my parents house you pull that rug up you'll still see the giant bleach stain right there on the carpet and like I said with bleach it's game over, right? There's nothing you can do about that. And, and after seeing God, I, here, listen, I, this is not what Isaiah said. Isaiah didn't say, woe was me. I'm a man of unclean lips, God. Let me try to go and kind of fix some of this myself and then bring me back to this vision of the throne room where I can feel like I'm more worthy to be in your presence. That's not what he said. He said, I am ruined, <laughs> Like my parents' carpet was ruined, right? This is the fundamental problem that you have apart from Christ. You are ruined. You can't be in the presence of God because, quite frankly, you don't deserve to be. He is holy, holy, holy. You're not even close to holy apart from Christ. You can't do anything about it. That stain has long since set in. The only one who can fix the problem is God himself. And that's exactly what happens in verse 6. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What was Isaiah's hope? God himself intervening and atoning for his sin. What's your hope? God himself intervening and atoning for your sin. You can scrub and scrub and scrub, but that stain's in there. It's set. 
You can try to dress it up and make it kind of blend in with everything else and make it look like you belong, but that's never going to work. The only one who can remove your guilty stains is Jesus. Your only hope is being washed by his blood, which was poured out on the cross, and being clothed in his righteousness. And we fail in our mission if we try to clean ourselves up to serve God. Like, oh, I want to serve God. I I need to really get my act together. It's not how we do it. We let Jesus wash us as white as snow. It doesn't mean there's not a lot of work to be done in discipleship. It doesn't mean we don't like actively battle sin all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. But we fail in our mission if we fail to comprehend the reason for our worthiness to be called a person of the family, a part of the family of God, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ and him alone and his blood alone to save you from your sin. We fail in our mission if we fail to comprehend the gospel. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that both atones for your sin and takes away your guilt and gives you the righteousness you need to spend eternity with the one who is holy, 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 because there will be many people on the day of judgment who when they have their glimpse of God, they'll say, woe is me, for I am ruined, and they'll be right that time. Because they weren't washed by the blood. Jesus died on that cross to take away your sin. He atoned for your sin and removed it. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't been covered by his blood, if you're here this morning and you think, Pastor Mike, that's me, like I'm ruined. I'm a person of unclean lips. I have no business being in the presence of God. That's you because you're not following Jesus. And I urge you to come to Jesus today and allow him to remove your sin and take away your guilt and shame because there is profound freedom that is found at the cross, a freedom that's found nowhere else. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to me after the service. I would love to pray for you and talk to you about that. We will fail, church, in our mission if we don't comprehend the gospel. If we don't remember at every point of everything that we do that it's all about Jesus all the time. We're not a church that's just trying to give you good marriage advice or parenting advice or teach you how to live a happy life. Now, does, there's those things in the Bible somewhat. Sure, there's things that we can learn in the Bible to grow in our marriages and our parenting and in work and everything else. But that's not the fundamental reason why we exist as a church It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. It's about remembering who we were apart from Christ and now who we are because of Christ. And we will fail in our mission if we don't understand that. If we fail to see the glory of God, if we fail to be accurately and adequately humbled by our sin, and if we fail to understand the gospel. Finally, church, simply we will fail in our mission if we aren't willing to go. If we aren't willing to go. Verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Isaiah. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. It's a scary thing to pray, amen? Here I am, send me. If we aren't willing to pray it sincerely, we're not going to succeed in our mission. And this morning... 
I just want to ask you, are you willing, church, to pray that prayer? As we come to the end of Mission Month now, we've talked about all sorts of things that we can do. Are you willing, like Isaiah, to say to God, here I am, rescued, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, standing before you, not on any merit of my own, but only on the foundation of the cross. Here I am, God. Send me. It's a scary thing to pray because you don't know where you're going to be sent. But it is a much scarier thing to say in my heart, I'm not willing, God. Don't send me. Send someone else. Here I am. Send me. May we be a church that is willing to say, here I am. Send me. In just a moment, I'm going to have the short-term mission teams come up. But before we do that, I want to just close a little bit differently than normal because I just think there's, as I look out on your faces, I think about just the lives that each of you lead, the opportunities that each of you have, the gifts that every single one of you that God has given to you, the countless relationships that you have with people both inside and outside of our church. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know what your here I am, send me is. But I want to give you an opportunity as we close the service to just spend some time in prayer and asking the Lord where he might be sending you. Maybe you have a neighbor that you just know needs to hear the gospel and you can't get their face out of your mind right now. It's like, okay, God, here I am, send me there. Maybe the Lord has been working on your heart to teach the gospel to our children here at Rock Prairie Kids at the church or, um, or in the foundation's uh, discipleship hour starting in September. Like, okay, here I am, Lord. That's maybe outside of my comfort zone. That's not something I would usually do. You need someone. Here I am. God, send me. Maybe the Lord wants you to be part of that team that's reaching out to country living from our church. Okay, God, I don't feel adequate, but you, I trust that you will equip me. Here I am. Send me. Maybe there's a new ministry the Lord wants you to be involved in that I don't even know about. Maybe there's a ministry the Lord's calling you to start. Maybe the Lord's calling you to go on a short-term mission trip next year. Maybe the Lord's calling you to give your life to go to the nations to preach the gospel. Maybe you've already worked this out with the Lord. Maybe you've already had this battle. The Lord's called you to something. You battle and battle. And now you finally already said, here I am. Send me. I don't know where you are at. I do know. As we look, whenever somebody is called in Scripture, never does that person feel adequate to the task that they're called to. We feel like, oh, I can't do it. That's exactly where you want to be. They want to give us just some time for the Lord to A, just, just ask the Lord, God, show me your glory more and more. Let me see it. You get so bound up in the things of this earth. Just, just lift my thoughts to see your glory and then as a result just understand my own sinfulness as a part of that and then just understand the goodness of the good news of the gospel of the grace that I've been given and then because of those things God wherever you want me to go here I am send me let's take a few moments and let's ask the Lord to do that in prayer just in your seats right now
Heavenly Father, God, we uh, come to you and just humbled by the gospel. That scene in the throne room in heaven that goes on for eternity that we can't comprehend. Humbled by um, how small my vision is of you. Often, God, forgive me for that. How pitiful my faith is in comparison to your sovereignty of who you are. Forgive me, God. How my heart is just prone to fear rather than trust. Forgive me, God. Forgive us. Lord, may we be a church filled with people who are compelled by the gospel to be willing to go wherever you're calling them to go, Lord. And I don't know what that is. So I ask that you would just reveal that now, God. Reveal that to us. And may we be obedient to follow wherever that may be, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, like I said this morning as we close, we have a group of people who have committed to go uh, in a short-term capacity this summer. Uh, to, uh, there's two trips. There's a trip to Guatemala and the Twin Cities, so I'm going to ask you guys to come on up now. If you're part of either one of those trips, have the Guatemala team be over here on my left and the uh, Twin Cities team here on my right. Grab the microphone. All right, we're really excited. Uh, I'll be a part of the Guatemala team. We're leaving on Wednesday, Lord willing. Uh, it's, a team, it's a trip that has been uh, over two years in the making. It was planned for uh, summer of 2020 and then again for the summer of 2021. And now here we are in 2022. And really excited about that. So Emily, would you just share a little bit about uh, just what we're going to be doing on this trip? Yeah, so we're going to be going to Impact Ministries in Tactique, Guatemala, and we'll be serving in a variety of ways through work projects. We'll do a VBS at one of the schools, and then we'll also visit orphans in the children's home and um, learn a lot about the culture and religion in Guatemala and just see how God is working among the people there. And then this group of people is going to be heading to uh, the Twin Cities on June 15th. And Craig, would you just share a little bit about uh, what that trip's going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we are heading to Minneapolis to work or to study under a ministry called Engage Global, where we'll be going through a training to help us understand deeper about what it means to, for, or what, it, what God's heart is for the nations in a way that we can actively be involved in that and be able to experience some, some cultures outside of ours um, because there are a lot of different cultures actually in Minneapolis, so we'll get to dive into some of those. Yeah, awesome, very good. Yeah, I wanna just give you guys a little bit of a quick charge here this morning. Um, this is a very exciting, it's a big deal to go on a trip like this. And first of all, I wanna just commend each of you for setting aside time and your schedules to be able to go somewhere uh, where the Lord is already at work and to participate in that. Uh, it's gonna be stretching, certainly. You all have an opportunity to be uh, probably way outside of your comfort zone, outside of things that you are uh, normally participating in. And, uh, and the Lord's, I'm just praying that he's gonna use this in each one of your lives uh, to just grow in your love for him and, uh, and uh, be willing to be used however he will. So just four quick things I want to charge you with. Uh, the first thing I want to say is to look up. What I mean by look up on this trip is to look up to the local leaders. Each of you are going to be participating and partnering with ministries that are already taking place in the places that you are going. And uh, I know you've been doing a lot of planning. You have, been doing, you have a lot of expectations of what these trips are going to look like. So I'm just going to encourage you to throw all those things out the window as you get on the airplane or as you hop in the bus before you go because uh, you just never know what 
what these things will look like, but we need to be looking up to the people who are already there, who are doing the ministry, and be willing to be used however they ask you uh, as, to be an encouragement to the people who are doing ministry already. So look up is the first one. You'll see a theme here. The second one is look out. Look out, as in look out for God's activity, for the way that the Lord is already at work. It can be easy on trips like this to think, this is what we're going to do, and uh, we're going to bring uh, the God's word to these people. And, and the truth is that God is already at work in these places that you are going. And so I want you to have a kind of a humble attitude to just be on the lookout, to be seeing what God is already doing in these places places. We look out. So look up to local leaders. Look out for the ways that God is already at work. Here's the third one. Look around. Look around, as in look around for opportunities to get to know new people. Again, you're going to be uh, seeing and meeting people that you've never met before. Uh, people in both uh, uh, instances who don't necessarily even speak your language, who communication might be difficult. And uh, I, can, I can guarantee each one of you is going to have an instance this week. You're going to tell me about it when you get back. You're going to have an instance on your trip uh, where you are going to say, okay, I could go engage and talk to that person and really step out of my comfort zone, or I could just hang back and no one will ever know. And uh, I just want to encourage you, step out of that comfort zone, engage new people, look around for the people that God wants you to see and interact with and be encouraged by and for you to encourage them. So I'm excited to hear every single one of you, your moment when you said, this is where I stepped out of my comfort zone and I had that conversation. That sound good? Rachel, you don't look super excited about that. Is that okay? Okay, good, very good. I'm just kidding, I'm just giving you a hard time. So look around. Finally, look forward, as in look forward to take the things that you have learned on these trips to take them home. I'm praying that this trip changes you. I'm praying that this trip is going to open your eyes as you see needs in Guatemala and in the Twin Cities. I'm hoping that these trips open your eyes to needs that we have right here in Tipton County. I'm hoping that you're going to have a renewed boldness to share the gospel and to share your testimony, share what the Lord has already done in your life, that that will be less intimidating and be a bold witness for Christ. And I'm even praying that the Lord might use this trip to call some of you to be uh, long-term missionaries, to go to the nations to bring the good news. I know that the Lord is going to do great things in and through you next, over these next trips, and I'm encouraging you to look forward to taking that home. So I've got two questions for you, church, and I have a, or teams, and I have a question for the church. So teams, just respond with we will if you agree. Teams, do you commit as sent ones from our church to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel as representatives of Rock Prairie and Jesus Christ? Do you commit to be an encouragement, to be on the lookout for God's activity, and to be ready to be changed? All right, church, do you commit to lifting up this team in prayer before, during, and after this trip, these trips, asking that the Lord would do these things? Very good. I want to encourage you to stand as you will, in your seats, and just hold out a hand. If you're on the front rows, you want to come up and lay a hand on someone, you can, but just hold out a hand. I know your arms might get tired. It's okay. Hold out a hand toward the teams. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord would do a mighty work. So please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for these teams. Each individual that is committing their time, their energy, their gifts, their resources to serve in Guatemala, Guatemala and Minneapolis. Lord, I pray for their hearts as they go. God, that you would calm any nerves that they might have. And also that they would understand the seriousness of what it means to be sent out as a representative of our church and of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
So I pray, Lord, that they would do all these things. They would look up to local leaders. Pray that they would look out for your activity, the ways you're already working. I pray that you would look around for new opportunities to be used and served and stepped out of their comfort zones. And I pray that they would look forward to bringing all these things home. God, I'm so excited to hear what they've learned. I pray that you would use it not only just to change each member on this team, but that you would use this to change our church, God. We pray for safety and travel. We pray against any sickness or any injury. We that you would just do a mighty work on these teams according to your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.